Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And welcome into another edition of uh, Gamecock Central Radio. I am Wes Mitchell alongside Chris Clark and uh, coming at you from the GamecockCentral.com studios in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, talking, uh, I guess putting a bow on the South Carolina-Texas A&M game. Talking a little coaching search and uh, maybe a little Tennessee talk as well if we have time. Uh, again, I'm Wes with Chris Clark. Uh, Chris, how's it going today? Doing well. Uh I don't know what our studio looks like. We have a studio triumvirate uh, with our lovely producer, Jeff Ty- Lovely is a, wow, that's a bad word. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have to uh, <laughs> scrap mark that. Mark, mark that spot there. I'll have to edit that out, Jeff. Uh, with the, ext- extremely, at the extremely talented Jeff Tyner there we go. Uh, producing there. Uh, again, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark, Jeff Tyner, and... Uh, I think, first of all, uh, we start with Texas A&M, Chris, and a game that, you know, maybe was a surprise to a lot of people and that South Carolina was able to hang around, keep it close. Um, really a lot to digest from that contest. I think, um, again, a tell of kind of two sides. You had, uh, you know, the offense, again, I think looked uh, like there was more rhythm, like there was more comfort under uh, the – play calling of G.A. Mangus, but then a defense, uh, and an offense, again, that I think has been uh, showing improvement the last two weeks, but on the other side, a defense that I won't say I won't say they got worse, but I think it's hard to say they've gotten better either. I think they actually look uh, uh, quite impressively the exact same as they have most of the year. Uh, what, what do you yeah. think, Chris? No, I mean, that's a good point about the defense. It's been... <clears throat> This team has really looked the same all year. That's a great point. There hasn't been a lot of differences, and part of that is just because, you know, the scheme's been largely the same. There have been a whole lot of wholesale changes in that regard and adjustments, um, but it's been the same, you know, things that have plagued this team. It's the short passing game. It's the runs up the middle. It's the quarterback runs, the draws, zone read. Um, It's a lot of those same types of things that we're seeing week to week. And when South Carolina has actually been able to put together a decent defensive performance, it's been when the team's gotten turnovers. Like, look back at the North Carolina game. Look back at the Vanderbilt game where they forced five turnovers. In the absence of those turnovers, it has not been very good for South Carolina for the most part. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's been those same sort of things that's plagued them. I mean, offensively, it is easy to see the improvement. And, it was even easy to see that in the Vanderbilt game, and that seems a little bit silly because you look back at it and you go, they, they scored 19 points. They didn't improve. But, you know, there there was more in that game than just the score. I mean, they turned it over. 
a couple times, including once at midfield. They dropped, you know, what, two or three touchdown passes. They missed a guy wide open. You couldn't point that and go the play calling wasn't good. Um, So I I think the improvement started there, and it carried over into the A&M game where you you looked at it, and, I mean, it was one of the the very few games lately with South Carolina where you could – just be surprised by the play call almost every time. You couldn't just sit there and say, here's what they're going to do. And on the other side of the ball in defense, you can see what they're going to do. And if we can see it, uh, so can these guys that are getting paid hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars uh, to coach major college football. And that's been a big, I think, issue in my mind. Yeah, and I, I think uh, my thing, Chris, and, I, and I'm, I'm not, obviously I'm not a coach, and you know John Hoke was in the NFL for uh a lot of years the guy the guy has to you know know a great deal about defense but i'm also sitting there um to me it's it's almost a numbers game up front when you have a guy who is as uh, quick and fast as kyler murray playing quarterback and uh you know they're running a&m's running the zone read and you're basically putting your defensive end in a position where uh, he's having to account for a uh running back and a quarterback which is what you could easily see was the case on a lot of these read runs that's the type thing the zone read is uh is designed for like that's the exact way the zone read is supposed to work and i i um especially with the personnel south carolina has um you know if, if you have a guy that if you have some guys up front that are just very disruptive and can uh get in the backfield and blow up a play then maybe you can stop the zone read with two high safeties but um, you know, I'm I'm looking at South Carolina and how they're outnumbered up front, and then I, you know, I watch I try to watch as much college football as I can on Saturdays, and I look at other teams. Uh, you know, I, I look at I look at Tennessee trying to get ready for the Tennessee South Carolina game and prep for that. I, I watch Houston with Tom Herman. I watch, um, you know, the Florida Georgia game. Uh, teams all around the country. Uh, it seems like more often than not are have that safety cheated up into the box and then you watch South Carolina and uh they sit in that cover too just uh way more often than not and I'm sitting there saying how can the guys be expected to stop a running threat like Kyler Murray without that additional help in the box so um and I and I've asked some high school defensive coaches I know um you know basically off the record how can can you stop this with with that look and the answers i'm getting is that it's very difficult to do so that's something that i um just don't quite understand chris yeah i mean great point and you know they they've just got to find a way to do something different they've got to be more aggressive i i I understand why it's risky to blitz a team like texas a&m okay or a team like clemson or a team like tennessee i understand it but Kyler Murray showed in a very limited sample size in that game that when pressure came, you know, that it affected him. Um, It's not as if they were throwing the ball deep a lot. Uh, USC did a good job defending the deep ball. Part of that was because Murray, you know, didn't hit those deep balls. He had an an opportunity or two to at least get the ball in play and didn't. Um, But you've got to find a way to pressure him and affect him. And when you're not changing your defensive call enough, when they can – when they can go to the line and basically see what you're in, that gives the team and the coaching staff on the other side a lot more confidence in whatever it is that they're calling. 
um, that they can go up there and execute it because they know what it is. And look, these coaches are good. I mean, they they know what plays have the best chance of beating what coverage. There's no perfect coverage. There's no perfect offensive play. You got to go out there and execute it on either side. Uh, but if they know what you're doing, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. And so, you know, for Murray, I, if it's me, and it's, again, it is easy for us to sit here in hindsight and say this is what we would do if we were coaches. We're not coaches. But it, it's easy to see that, look, you, you, maybe you try something different. Maybe you try affecting the guy. Because if he can just run around and has an easy read option or an easy pitch or an easy keep on that option play, or he doesn't have a lot of pressure in the passing game and can make easy throws, you know, you go and you take your chances with the freshman quarterback trying to do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't get it. They've got to vary the calls more. <laughs> They've got to vary what they do up front. We can talk all we want about guys. Look, they didn't win up front. They got beat up front, no doubt about it. But they've got to do some things differently as far as running more games up front or just changing the front more. Uh, changing the defensive call, blitzing, just doing some di- some things differently. This team isn't good enough to just line up and say, here we are, here it is, we're going to stop you. And the fact is, Wes, nobody's really good enough to do that anymore. You, you don't see Alabama just sitting there saying, here's our 3-4 defense, we're going to do the exact same thing every time. No. They have their base defense, but they go out there and do things differently, and, and you've got to do that this day and time. I understand and appreciate simplifying it and, and stressing technique, um, but you got to play with great technique no matter what the call is. And at some point, if this team doesn't change what they're doing defensively, it's, it's going to be a long finish to the year because of some of the teams they're playing. Yeah, and I, and I just uh, – and there, there are ways schematically to bring an extra guy in the box and, and not play man coverage on the outside. There are ways to do that without, um, without necessarily completely allowing the deep ball. You know, I, I think we, we don't see this team – sit in cover three very often where you can still bring a guy up but still protect against the deep pass you don't you know they're very you know these are very very basic defenses you know every team in the country um i would i would imagine runs some version of a cover two zone a cover three zone um some version of a cover one you know man free and then everyone has kind of their their blitz packages but you to me you don't you don't really see south carolina even do all those things it's uh uh, you know they they have a few blitz packages, but um, it seems like a lot of times they're they they're pretty much the same common ones when they do run those, and uh, they haven't really. I, I thought they I thought they had a more diverse game plan against Vanderbilt than they did uh, this past week against Texas A and M. So um, th- those are I think all questions that we we all we all have the questions, but I don't know if any of us have the the answers to necessarily you know, why that is. Uh, but but on the other side, like you said, I think, um, you know, kind of repeating that word uh, diverse again, I thought you saw a pretty diverse offensive game plan. Um, you know, for the first time um, in a while, I think uh, you kind of saw plays that complemented one another. You saw um, the, uh, the kind of end around to Lorenzo Nunez, which had a uh, pass element there if he wanted it. Then you had an, an end around to Farrow Cooper. And then later on, you faked that same exact look um, 
which basically you know showed ways where you could take a play and then complement it later on. That's what to me the great play callers in college football or in football in general do is they give a look and then they they have another look off that same look. So I I thought that was really good and I thought you know it's one thing coaches coaches always talk about well we're going to try to fix uh, fill in the blank whatever mistakes you had. South Carolina said got to fix red zone woes. Um, I saw a team that when it got into the red zone had some plays in its back pocket that were designed um, specifically for that reason. You saw, again, the uh, sort of end around to uh, Lorenzo Nunez, which was a play we hadn't seen all year. And then you saw them go in the I formation and uh, basically fake the fullback dive and then flip it out to Brandon Wilds, a little misdirection. That's a play we haven't seen all year either. So um, I saw on the offensive side a staff that took the bye week and said, here are our problems. How do we go about fixing them? Let's try to do something different to do that. And to me, that, that, that what I just said, that sentence uh, sums up what good coaching is, uh, you know, in, just in, in one sentence. So I, I think on that side of the ball, you got to give those guys credit. On the other side of the ball, you're looking at it saying, um, why have there not been changes? Because, sure, you can't change up your entire scheme, but uh, with two weeks, you can, you can add extra calls. I mean, the, these there might be 18- and 22-year-old kids, but they've played football their whole life. You can add a few different packages to the defense with two weeks to prepare for Texas A&M. So um, that's probably just, if you're a Gamecock fan out there listening or on our Gamecock Central message boards, that's got to be just disappointing for you to, to watch that happen because there's really uh, no true explanation for it. No, there's not. And and it, it'd be just like, okay, if at some point you have to live with what you've got. Uh, and, and by that I mean... If you if you come into the season and say we are going to be a man coverage team, we're playing man, um, and then you you find out that for one reason or another your corners and your safeties can't cover anybody man to man, well, are you going to just play man the entire rest of the season and just pray that you get exponentially better? Probably not, or you shouldn't. Um, if you're not getting pressure up front, if your D-line's not getting pressure, are you probably going to try at least to blitz more to, to remedy that? Probably so. Now, you can't completely change around what you're going to do. And I don't think anybody's advocating that South Carolina completely changes the defense, starts running a completely different scheme. But you do have to make adjustments. And, and in my mind, it's not good enough just to, to put the product out and then afterwards just say we've got to get better we got to have better run fits. I understand that. Everybody, it doesn't matter what defense you're playing. If your run fits aren't good, if you're not winning up front, if you're not covering people, you're probably not going to be very good. That, that's understandable. But this is a game where scheme counts. You, you have to be physical. You have to win up front and do all those things. It doesn't matter the scheme. I know that. But, but you also have to make sure that your scheme is putting your guys in position um, to where, you know, they can make plays. And as you said, Wes, I mean, John Hope knows, has been in more, you know, football meetings, has coached longer, has played. He knows more about football than we do. But it's just very difficult to, to for an outsider, I think, to assess the situation and not go, why are they not doing something different? You know, yeah. I, I think that's what's driving people crazy because you have to, you have to change something different. You can't call... 
you can't have you know very similar calls or the same call on uh, you know over and over again and just magically expect the guys to go out there and execute it much much better at some point you have to say look it's not working let's try something different and if we still get beat it is what it is but i'll tell you if, if they go out and they play cover two a good bit of the time or even if they just play man free if they don't vary up front if they don't vary their blitz packages more against tennessee clemson even Florida and the Citadel is going to be a very long day. I just, I just don't see them stopping those teams because they're going to exploit the same things that all these other teams have exploited. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I want to remind everybody listening. Uh, hopefully, we we've got some folks already there on the Gamecock Central message boards. But um, check out uh, our site because we do have a, a trial going on right now where you can read our premium content for the. Rest of the season for absolutely free if you're not already a premium member. And uh, you'll get our full breakdown of this uh, Texas A&M. Uh, a close game where they showed improvement, but obviously um, not enough improvement to win the game. We'll have full breakdowns uh, to, to everything that happened in the game. And then, of course, we'll move forward uh, to the Tennessee game. And, uh, you know, I think it's a perfect segue because you just mentioned um, – it could be tough sledding for South Carolina if they don't fix some things. And uh, before we get into a little bit of coaching search stuff, uh, maybe just some uh, off the top of your head early thoughts on Tennessee. I'm looking at this team as one that I think uh, has improved gradually, Chris, as the season has gone along. Um, Joshua Dobbs, a guy that is a different, clearly a different quarterback than Kyler Murray, but uh, I think from a scheme standpoint, um, or you know, at least from how you have to defend them, uh, kind of brings some of the same qualities. He, he's he's bigger than Kyler Murray, uh, not as fast, but he can run. He actually can run through tackles a little bit. And um, for what I've seen in Tennessee, they they do some uh, not quite as much zone read or speed option to the outside type stuff. More just designed runs for him, designed runs for Jalen Hurd. Uh, the power game up front with the guards pulling. Um, this is a team that, again, I just think from a number standpoint, South Carolina uh, not going to be able to sit their safeties back and cover two and expect to stop this offense because it's an offense that has, uh, I think, improved as the season has gone along. Yeah, it has. And, and, you know, they took a lot of heat early in the season for the way that they lost a couple games, rightfully so. Um, but this is a team that you look across it and it has some talent, both sides of the ball. But, yeah, looking at their offense – I think a lot of people were talking about their receivers going into this year. I think it's been, though, Josh Dobbs running and, and making some throws, and then their running backs with Kamara and Hurd. Th- those guys have been the, the bigger storylines, as you pointed out. And um, they will run more power, like you said. They'll run some counter. Um, they'll run Dobbs in some different ways. Um, and, and so there are some different challenges, but a lot of them are very similar to A&M in that, okay, you've got a mobile quarterback who can throw it. Dobbs is more polished throwing it around and throwing it downfield, and he certainly has some capable receivers. And then the running backs really concern you if you're South Carolina because, you know, you got a guy in herd who's just a, a big back. You know, he can run around you, run over you. Kamara's a very good back too. And those guys can really get out on the edges – on the perimeter with the perimeter run game and really hurt you and when I look back at a lot of games this season that has really hurt South Carolina the run game in general but I think against Vandy with Darius Sims he had a big get a big day getting out on the perimeter against USC and when I've watched Tennessee 
I think that's the thing that, that concerns you. So, yeah, they're going to have to devote more bodies to the run. If they lose because Josh Dobbs is hitting passes all over down all over the field, you know, I think you have to live with that. But you can't let this team just run up and down the field on you um, because when they're looking at the tape of South Carolina, that's probably exactly what they're thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say, you know, you look at that score, um, Tennessee beating Kentucky, uh, some some of their score they actually had a, a long kickoff return for touchdown. Um, they had a score or two set up by uh, by turnovers deep um, in uh, Kentucky's territory. So uh, some of the scores in that game were set up by stuff like that. And I think I think it goes without saying South Carolina is not going to beat a Tennessee, beat a Florida, or beat a uh, Clemson uh, if they turn the ball over in their own territory or they give up kick returns for touchdowns, stuff like that. So. Um, no, no easy points allowed for the Gamecocks if they're going to win any of those uh, big ball games they have coming up to close out the uh, season. And uh, finally, we we did tease we'd talk a little coaching search, so we will uh, certainly do that uh, now. And I'll start, Chris, uh, quickly with your what have your thoughts been though on the job Sean Elliott has done? I think we I think we do pretty much agree that. Um, it, he was kind of going to be a long shot to to lose that interim tag coming in, but he certainly has done some good things. He has rallied the team. Um, what have your impressions been of Sean Elliott, the interim head coach? Well, I do think he's done some some things to make it more fun, to inject some energy, and changing some things up, and and things that I I do believe have helped. I mean. Uh, the a nine point win over Vandy didn't exactly fire everyone up, but again, it was in the early stages of seeing some changes on offense that have benefited this team. I think um, I don't think anybody expected South Carolina to be as competitive at Texas A and M as they were, and the offense was a big reason for that. Um, they were able to go down and again we we covered it had some creative plays, had some good offensive plays despite the fact that this isn't is not a super talented offense, but yet they made those adjustments and they've done a better job and they've kept South Carolina more competitive and given them at least an outlook to where you think they can perhaps be more competitive going forward. But for me, the question is, is, is Elliot going to do anything on the defensive side of the ball? Um, I don't think anybody's happy with how it's going on defense. And certainly it's a unique situation with him being an interim head coach, but what can he do? What will he do on that side of the ball? Will we see anything different, you know, next next game against Tennessee and then going forward? Um, but again, he's still. I don't think anything's changed as far as his um, chances to ultimately get the job. But I do think that he he was the right guy. I think to peg for interim head coach because of some of the things that he's done that have have really helped. It, it didn't really help. USC's outlook like Sean Elliott didn't get the job and you didn't go okay they're going to win a bunch of games now I mean that just wouldn't have been realistic but uh, but I do think it's been a positive pegging him as the interim guy yeah and uh, like you said he has done some some good things that I I think the big question for him going forward is going to be kind of uh you know maybe some some game management type stuff uh you know, and, and you could probably argue that some of his calls ended up being correct in that I'm specifically talking about you had a couple of fourth downs in the fourth quarter around midfield South Carolina um, with, with an excellent punter, a punter who's great at putting the ball down there and, and downing it inside the 20-yard line, uh, inside the 10 a lot of times. Uh, but the two decisions to punt on fourth down around midfield, yes, South Carolina got the ball back, but 
you know, I think the last time they got the ball back didn't have much time left, clearly, and uh, uh, really was where they were in a situation that they were going to have to throw the football. Um, you know, so I, I thought those were some decisions he made where he's talked about, you know, we have nothing to lose. He said, you know, we were going to go for two if we had scored on the final drive. Um, it's easy to say those things that we're going to play aggressively. We're we're going to play like we have nothing to lose if you're Sean Elliott. But, uh, you know, when South Carolina had a couple opportunities to maybe put the game away against Vanderbilt, they kicked field goals instead of going for it. Um, punted in those situations against Texas A&M. And uh, then I, I thought a uh, – you know, and we can argue back and forth the merits of those situations if there's a right call or wrong call. But then I thought you, I, I had an issue at the end of the game where you uh, you don't call a timeout after you force the fourth down for Texas A&M when you're at a point where uh, at that time the time the time is way more important than that timeout saving it because if you have the football, there's many things you can do just to stop the clock. You step out of bounds, you can clock it, you can get a first down. A&M has the ball. They're certainly going to run that other 30 seconds off the clock. So I I, uh, I had an issue with that wasted – basically wasted a good 40 seconds off the clock, um, which was a, a just uh, – to me, even though he's a second-game interim head coach, uh, with a game on the line, that's a mistake you probably can't make. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of things in that game where, you know – you go maybe if they did this or that a little bit different it would have given them a chance certainly you mentioned those those things at the half and at the end of the game um but really uh, you know Wes I just I I completely agree with you on those points but I just think the defense just didn't give them as much of a chance now the second half they did a little bit better job for sure they only gave up one offensive touchdown to A&M in that second half so they they bowed up a little bit and the offense sputtered in the second half but you know, the offense did enough in that game overall. You know, and the offensive staff put their guys in position overall enough, you know, enough times to win that game. But I, I do think this will be a test going forward for Elliott as far as, you know, how his tenure as interim head coach is defined. And it's important. It's important, you know, not only for this season, because fans want to win no matter what, but it's important, you know, to show what he can do because he's a, he's a guy that a lot of people think can be a head coach somewhere in the future. And also for just, you know, for his own sake, because he's a guy that's probably got a pretty good shot, I would think, depending on who the hire is, of, of hanging around on the next staff. And so these things are important for him just personally and then important for the team as well. But to me, the biggest thing is going to be what does he do with the defense? Does he... Because he's, he's taught a lot about adjusting things, making changes to personnel, to scheme. They've done that on offense. Will they do it on defense on a larger scale? That, that's the thing I'm going to be uh, most curious to see. It will definitely be interesting. And uh, finally, uh, Chris, and everyone can read on GamecockCentral.com about uh, our complete coverage of the coaching search. But um, just to hit on it real quickly, uh, my thought process is this kind of uh, – this kind of, I guess, a uh, big three that I think most people are talking about, at least on our message boards. We know that Ray Tanner is going to make an exhaustive search. He's going to basically look into any possible candidates, and he could fall in love with other guys. But um, at least on paper, with this big three we've talked about the most, Tom Herman, Justin Fuente, Kirby Smart, uh, when I look at the positives of these three guys, uh, I just think there is a ton to like about all three of them. 
Yeah, definitely. And all the all three of those guys bring different things to the table, um, but I think all of them hit on areas USC wants to hit on, and that is a younger guy who's going to bring energy, toughness, discipline, uh, be able to recruit well uh, one way or another at South Carolina. Um, so all those guys hit the boxes. And, look, all these guys have come up for other jobs too. There's a reason that they're coming up at South Carolina. It's because they have been or currently are hot names in coaching, and especially – uh, Fuente and Herman right now because they have been head coaches. Tom Herman only for eight games, of course, and Justin Fuente for, you know, b- bringing a Memphis program up to where it is now from where it was when he got there, which was not good at all. And then Kirby Smart because he's worked for Nick Saban and knows the Southeast, the SEC, highly regarded as a good coach and a, and a good recruiter too. Um, for me, Wes, when I look at these guys and knowing what South Carolina is looking for, I think there's things to like about all of them. I think a lot of people look at Fuente and and peg him as sort of the best coach, X's and O's on field, and and the best program builder and the most proven guy as a head coach. Smart, you look at him and you're most intrigued because he knows the SEC the best. He's got those connections. He could build a staff. And then Herman, you look at as sort of the quote-unquote cliche home run hire because he models his program after Urban Meyer. He's a bright guy. He's t- you know t- tough, disciplined type guy. Gets after it in recruiting, and he's put out a good product on field too. And for me, honestly, I think just looking strictly at the profile, I think Tom Herman may check the most you know boxes, so to speak, out of what they're looking for. Uh, but I don't think you could really go wrong with any of them. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see. Um, and uh, we, of course, will give you complete coverage of that there on GamecockCentral.com, where, again, you can get a, a free trial right now that will take you all the way through the end of the Gamecocks uh, season. And we'll break down every game, every recruit, every uh, basketball game as well coming up there on uh, GamecockCentral.com. Uh, and I think that, uh, Chris, is about going to do it for uh, GamecockCentral.com radio today. Uh, again, uh, follow Chris on Twitter. Chris, that is at GC Chris Clark, correct? That's and, right, uh, GC Chris and, Clark. Uh, and then myself at West Mitchell GC. And uh, follow Gamecock Central on Twitter at Gamecock Central. Uh, for uh, Chris and for myself and for Jeff Tyner, who is uh, doing an excellent job uh, behind the board there at the Gamecock Central studios, uh, we will talk to you next time on Gamecock Central Radio. The world is always on, but you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. During Mattress Firm's Labor Day sale, get a king for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin and save up to $700 on Sealy. Talk to a sleep expert and unjunk your sleep today. Mattress Firm. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.